Welcome to the Sickles Noise Podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. I am Chris Leonard, joined by Coach Churnside. How's it going, Coach? I'm getting used to the coach moniker. It's great. <laughs> I have nine nine-year-olds, our 2014 girls, including my daughter, and I tell you what, I'm having a blast. One of the kids came up and gave me a hug tonight. We do a lot of uh, nucks. I'm seeing some improvement. Like, I think I'm going to be a good coach. I think I'm going to be... I think I'm going to be all right, coach. We have our first game on Saturday. This podcast won't pro- – no, it'll be out. Yeah. Yeah, so it'll Saturday, be out tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> so Saturday, everyone <laughs> at home listening, when they listen, go ahead and burn some Palo Santo, do your essential oils, <laughs> uh, worship the moon, whatever you got to do that St. Louis Development Academy 2014 Girls Gray is going to win. We're going to win. There you go. So, so I guess by Sunday morning, we'll know if you're a good coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I want to be like Kyle all the time, so I've decided to coach my daughter's 6U or 8U, whichever team she lands on, uh, team. Uh, it's her first year playing soccer. Uh, it's going to be a fun experience as well, so just waiting for the details to roll in on that. So, yeah, we got two coaches going here. This I, be, I feel uh, left out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I need some kids. <laughs> so, so check this out. Let's put this out in the ether, and Ryan, John, you can help us out. If anyone knows oh, yeah. anyone who does... Anyone who knows uh, sports broadcast soccer people for MLS, PSG, uh, Copa, and anything who works in the audio department for soccer, I know that we've had uh, the the lady who did the the pressing of the vinyl yeah, for Bobby, the Nashville. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I would love to have um, some sport broadcasters or engineers or microphone people or sideline people come on and tell us about your job because I want one. I want one of those gigs. Thank you. I, I know have a person in the pipeline. Yeah. Well, I'll take your suggestion, Brian. I have the audio EIC at the World Cup. I'm waiting for the World Cup to get yeah. done. Um, awesome. Uh, uh, so when that gets done, I'll get that lined up. But they're a little busy right now. Um, yeah, your guest so. is better than anyone I would have suggested. You win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, let's give a special shout out to a couple um, um, people, family, products, manufacturers that love us and support us and support you all. Um, so Rational Acoustics, uh, I want to give a shout out to them. Um, they have Smart Suite 9 out. They also, I suggest you go check out their support portal uh, that they have. They recently launched that. Um, the documentation that Rational Acoustics puts out, I mean, their manuals are not just manuals. They are literal um, uh, teaching tools. Uh, and that even if you don't even use the program of Smart, you can learn things through them. So go go check out their support portal. Um, Hannah and, and, and the team up there have put a lot of work into that. Um, go do that. Uh, secondly, uh, shout out to RCF. Uh, they make a lot of great speakers for uh, portable touring, installation, studio, broadcast. They just make even drivers for speaker for other 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 uh, speaker manufacturers. Um, great people, great products, and then of course, uh, longtime sponsor Allen Heath. Um, the Avantis is up for yet another award. That thing just keeps like wow. rocking the charts, um, and I continue to see D lives freaking everywhere it's pretty cool to see like the cti's out there like on so many tours so alan and heath is out there crushing it um so thank you to all of them some of the best shows i've heard over this past year have been alan and heath shows 
Yeah. I, uh, Toby Francis said that too. Speaking of which, a few weeks we have him on. It's, uh, he said the same thing. So that was the unofficial, I, I wouldn't call it an endorsement because I'm not going to speak for Toby, but just an acknowledgement that like, hey, I've heard a bunch of these shows and some of the most one, cool ones were from Alan Heath. And there's the pushback of like, oh, it's not the tool, it's the mixer or whatever. Yes, but that person chose what tool they were going to use. So there's something to be said for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's not to say all the best shows I've seen have been Alan Heath. Correct. But a yep. bunch of them have. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Cool. Um, all right. So a couple things I want to get into tonight. Um, uh, as you're going to read the headline of this, I plan to call this, um, Is Analog Better? <laughs> um, and, and yes, we're going to go there to a degree, and I'll explain that more. Um, but uh, the, there's the two setups for this. One is uh, you just did the Danny Elfman show again almost a year ago, episode 181. We talked wow. about um, your, your Danny Elfman episode, you know, our, our, our shows with him a year ago. You just did that again. Um, uh, so I want to check in on kind of what happened this time versus last time, things like that. Um, but the also this Herman is- tribute. I'm going to go ahead and blow it for everybody. I watched that already. The Pee Wee Herman <laughs> tribute was amazing. <laughs> It's Amazing. so good, right? It's so good. Well, let's, let, let, let's go there. So, all right. So, you know, for the long story of all of the inputs, all the things that go into the Danny Elfman thing, I don't want to rehash all that. Go back to 181, listen to all of that. Um, but, hey, what was maybe, did you approach anything differently this time? What was, um, or were you, were you just mentally more prepared? Or what, what was different about this time than last time? So, biggest thing, I switched console platforms. So, for this gig, I was on a, a Digico uh, SD, uh, SD5, you know, Quantum 5, rather. Um, mostly because most consoles cannot handle the input count we're doing, mm. right? Yeah, this time it was 158 inputs, but then, of course, there's effects wow. returns and other stuff, right? And effects returns, it's, I don't know, I, I feel like most people, I don't know, maybe eight stereo effects returns, something like that on a show, maybe even less than that. I think I had... 18 stereo effects returns. So we're into, you know, 40 something inputs for even just effects returns. So you, you add up quite quickly. Um, so that was a huge change, right? And in order to make that huge change, uh, I kind of had to rebuild that file. And I know that when we do these rehearsals, we don't get a ton of time. Um, you know, it sounds like it's a lot of time. Yeah. We get two days of rehearsal, (laughs) but when you have that many inputs, and you don't necessarily have all the players all it the time. It takes two days to line check that many channels. <laughs> <laughs> you should hear our line check. It's like filing one. Yep, two. Yep, three. Yep. It's just knocking through this because it's just too many otherwise, you know? Yeah. But um, with that many inputs, I kind of needed to like somewhat pre-build as much as I could mm-hmm. with the idea that groups are going to be roughly the same. The group of violins will be roughly the same. The group of violas will be roughly the same. The group of cellos will be roughly the same, even though the individuals within that group might be unique and different. You know what I mean? Um, so what I was able to do, fortunately, is since we had all the previous shows fully multi-tracked, I opened all that stuff up in Pro Tools. And I opened up a really basic channel strip plug on each of them, got kind of the EQ for each of these instruments, kind of get them into the ballpark of where I would target each of these instruments on any platform. Like Mm -hmm. I want a violin to sound roughly like this, regardless of what console I'm on and then kind of funnel things down into groups. And then you build your reverbs and you build things like that. And, um, on the avid platform, it's obviously quite simple to run plugins and all that on the Digico platform, you know, plugins have to be external through some, you know, other, other devices to kind of get it to go. 
uh, since I have so much UA gear, I was like, I'm going to use all UA for all of my reverbs. Mm. And as, as far as I'm concerned, UA makes some of the best reverbs there are. They are stunning. So in the box at home, I built all my reverbs for like, let's say strings short, strings long, horns short, horns long, brass short, brass long, woodwind short, woodwinds long, et cetera, choir short, long. And they're all unique, right? It's, they're not all the same setting. Because, you know, choir long should feel kind of like angelic and bright. Whereas horns long doesn't necessarily need to do that. It needs mm -hmm. to be kind of like a little thicker. So I've got all these different plugins. So at home, I built all the presets for all of those things by mm. loading those plugins up. Very cool. Getting the setting right. And then, you know, hit save and just saved it to a file. And then when we get to the gig, load it all up, right? Um, so obviously, like building a file from scratch was totally new. But because I spent all that time going through the multis, I had such a good idea of where every single sound was coming from. With this many inputs, it's like you hear something, by the time you finally find it, it's too late. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas in this, I was like, oh, that little bit is only played by cello one. That's kind of a lead part. I need to make sure cello one is like, you know, bigger in this section or louder or whatever it might be. Or, yep. oh, you know what? That's not the French horns. That's actually, you know, the trombones playing that bit. Were these and, mental you know, notes or did you actually like write this stuff oh, down? Oh, I literally wrote it down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but obviously the, the more you go through these songs and I spent a lot of time going through the songs that I thought I had a hard time with last time. The ones mm. where there's like, there's a lot happening here. It's not the rock band. The rock band stuff's actually kind of easy. Right. It's all the film music orchestra stuff that's actually quite complicated because there's like, I don't know, a flute part that comes in for like eight notes and then goes away. Mm -hmm. But if I leave that flute open all the time, it just makes a mess of the violas that are right. It's next almost to like theatrical line by line mixing. Right. It's exactly. But, that. but with but with, you know, orchestra. Yeah, it's it's exactly that. I got, but, I got a, by going I, through all this stuff, it, 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 you know, reminded me where every single sound was coming from. So then when you actually get to the show. I'm like, I know this show so well before they've even played a note. Hmm. And that was awesome. Um, whereas last time we did this, it was kind of like running 100 miles an hour the whole time. Hmm. You know? I got a question. When you were talking about the violin and you, and you were going through and doing like basic EQ on stuff, when, when you bust that down to a group, how much do you realize that there might be phasing happening from the EQ that you put individually except for a group? basis um do you do you take that in account when they're sitting next to each other and they might be picking up each other's mics like um how, how do you so, go about managing the phasing problems so when i've done orchestral stuff and we're doing group miking where we actually have like mics over and in front of the violins that is so incredibly relevant once you start doing that stuff it actually becomes a lot easier to just do the whole group at one time because right. you do start hearing phasing but on this half these songs are like you know full violin section violas and all that while Elon Rubin is playing drums right next to them. Oh. So it's, it's, it's all 4099s clipped on, and they are you know an inch Close away mic. from that instrument. Yeah. So you do get a bit of bleed, but not enough bleed that if I make a harsh EQ change on violin one, it's going to affect the tonality mm. of violin two. Right? Copy. Yeah, yeah. And it's only because it's 90% it's that signal, 10% the other crap. And honestly, the other crap is all snare drum. It's snare drum <laughs> in every single... We have 158 snare mics on stage, you know what I mean? Wow. And as we'll talk yeah. when we get into the, into the clips, um, you also have 158 audience mics as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But um, all right, let's talk about um, that's the technical side experientially. What was the what was it? How was it different for you this time than last time? So 
last time we did this show, we were at the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, PA there is K1 over, uh, I think it's over K2 or it's maybe over car. I can't remember what the, the downfill boxes is, but it's L acoustics. And in terms of what you get for control when you come into the Hollywood Bowl is almost nothing. They go, cool, you give me left, right, subfill, and that's it. You cannot access processing or anything like that. Um, you can, if you're, you know, my, my SE on that gig was, was Ishti and his, his sneaky way of, uh, you know, getting people to do favors is he just goes up to everyone and goes, Hey, would you like a Snickers bar? He just gives, <laughs> gives out candy. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. suddenly, you know, by the afternoon, everyone's his best friend is, is so awesome to watch him do that. And like, you know, get people who are being crabby to be softer and to be better. You know, this is quite cool. But, um, that gig, you have so little control of PA deployment and how, you are kind of, you know, spreading sound around the crowd. This time, you know, we got ahead of this, you know, months in advance. And I say, well, I want a PA system that's not going to throw as much on the stage because we have so many open mics on stage. And every single one of those is going to pick up, you know, back pressure off the PA. It's going to pick up low end, mm -hmm. which means I'm going to have to high pass things higher, cut out more low mid, which means make it a thinner show. So we opted for the SL series from DNB, which is, you know, a cardioid array. And we spent a lot of time on how we're going to deploy it to make sure it feels really direct for everybody. Um, and that alone, uh, if I took the show from, you know, last year when we did this and played it through this, it would have sounded, you know, clear as day as compared to this kind of fixed deployment that you don't get to modify or mess with. So mm -hmm. we got exactly the curve I want out of it. And, you know, really directed and controlled low end, really directed and controlled PA. So it's like, I've gone back and now listened to hundreds of videos and all of them, I'm like, that's not far off from the board, from what's mm. coming out of the desk. And that's really cool. It's really cool to hear uh, a video from, you know, almost, almost 300 feet away and go, that doesn't sound that far off from the video from, you know, 40 feet away. That's down in right. front. That's so, you know, shout out to Ken Quinlan for getting all this stuff done and put together. Uh, in a way that we, we could get away with that kind of stuff. But yeah, that was probably one of those really big differences. Um, How about yeah, just talking about yeah. like emotionally, experientially for you, right? <laughs> like, were you able to enjoy it a little bit more? Last time was so white knuckle, whatever. Were you able to at least take it in a little bit more of what you got to do with this one? This this is, the I think, the first one of these two shows we did. I actually purely had fun. That's good. And most of it comes from knowing exactly what's coming down what lines because mm. that was the thing i didn't really know last time it's like yeah I, yeah great i got strings i've got this i've got uh, like all this stuff and i'm making it fit together but if i know musically there's a part that needs to be bumped here trying to find it versus knowing where it is is a whole different level of comfort so if mm. you're sitting there and you're going i know exactly what's coming from everywhere your level of comfort is just all there at which point it actually becomes purely fun you know, so I had, I actually had a really good time doing it this time. And now I'm like, cool, if like, let's do it again in 24, which hopefully we're going to do. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I'm stoked. Let's have fun. That's so great. yeah, this was the first time I had fun doing this show before that. It was fucking terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so good. How, how was uh, Danny's response this time compared to last time? <laughs> he was also clearly way more comfortable. Um, mm. You know, last time I think was still him discovering how to execute doing like a two plus hour show i mean the dude's 71 i think he just turned 71 or he just turned wow. 70 um not a young dude and it's this is not a simple show it's you know serious exertion and seriously intense 
So I think, you know, when we were doing this before, he was also trying to figure out how to be comfortable with it and all that. Um, for the interaction between Danny and myself, I think he was very happy with how it went last time. And we had a conversation at the start of the rehearsals this time. And I was like, would you like to come sit with me? And like, we'll go through these things. And he's like, nope, I trust you. Go for it. <laughs> that I think cool. was also another thing that made me feel way more comfortable because the first time we did this, like I would sit in the room, you know, in the little front of house room that I had set up. I brought all my acoustic treatment from home and put it in the room because the room was just like this little box. I was like, oh, it's got to sound good if Danny's coming in here. Uh, and Danny would sit with me for like two hours in the morning and totally school me on how to put together how to put together orchestra mixes and how to make things that feel mm. a certain way rather than sound a certain way. And that's intimidating as hell, man. I've been listening to this guy's music since I was a little kid. Like I grew up on the films that we are now putting on that stage. That's <laughs> fucking awesome, you know? That is awesome. Um, so I was intimidated as hell that first time around and he sat with me for, for hours and we'd write notes on each song on feel. What, what, what should the verse feel like? What mm. should the break going into this chorus feel like? It was never like, I want, you know, more reverb on the snare drum. It was never, I want more of violin too. It was, this needs to feel like tension because when we get to this part, it needs to feel like success. Mm. You know, those kinds of like wording, which is so cool. Cause then it gives me the creative freedom to tr try and execute what that is. Well, also, I guess you're kind of like trying to read the brain of the person who's describing this to you to right. understand that like your idea of executing it is the same as their idea of executing it, which is, yep. you know, but this time around, clearly like we were on the same page for how to execute those feelings. So it wasn't scary anymore. Instead, it was like, cool, awesome. I know what Danny wants. Let's make sure we do it. You know, it's awesome. What's the piece so, that you used on this, uh, this time out? that you really, really is going to be a go-to thing that you loved that you put in your chain or whatever the case may be, the console layout or whatever, what was the thing that you're going to adopt from this on moving forward? There's probably three things that I'm going to hang on to potentially forever. One, uh, for the first time I use the, um, the Rupert Neve designs 5254, that analog comp, it's supposed to be a modern rendition of a 2254 Neve compressor, right? And that compressor is like really squishy. It's like very like round and like you hear it pumping. It's kind of gross sounding, but like in a very big way. So you put that on things like acoustic guitars that you want to be kind of like, you know, feel the movement of and have them sound big and round. Um, the new version of it is like a little bit tighter, but it has a blend knob on it. And I put that in the drum bus and just got it to be this like really spanky sounding, like squishy thing. And what was cool about it is that you can high pass drums a lot higher to make them really tight, right? So that there isn't this flabby low end. But that's not actually really what you want it to sound like in the end because you want some roundness. But you can high pass them up there and then put this comp on it. And because it does this squishy round bigness thing, it kind of puts that low end back in it. So you end up with crazy tight drums because they're high pass a little bit higher. But something about this unit is adding that low harmonic back into it. So it still feels full and punchy and big. Um, that was like, I didn't actually want to like that piece because I bought it and I was like, this thing is so expensive. It's like $3,500. That is so much money for a stereo comp. Hold and on, I was not like, the, gonna, not to spoil the, the the future conversation. Did you use that on that four or five drum bit piece? In the, I did. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Why? Because the drums sound crazy tight. <laughs> well, it, yeah. It, it 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 helps me understand what's happening there. But we'll we'll get there. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but um, this that piece is 
$3,500. I did not want to want it. You know what I mean? And I put it on and I played with it for like, I don't know, five minutes. And I was like, well, shit, that sounds really good. Let me get rid of it and try and do the same thing with plugins. Because that's what I always do. I get an analog piece and I'm like, oh, that mm -hmm. sounds really cool. Wow, I like what it does. Let me see if I can get that same sound with plugins. I think I spent two hours and I was like, no, I guess I'm keeping that thing. And I don't want to <laughs> keep it because I don't have $3,500 to just throw into a drum compressor. That is too much money. <laughs> anyway, so that's one. And I guess I'm keeping that forever because that thing just, it blew my mind what it did. Uh, number two, um, I use the EMT plate 250 or sorry, the EMT 250 from UA, uh, that plugin, it's like this black faced unit with like these kind of levers on it. I've never really played with it before because anytime I wanted a plate, I pulled up the EMT 140, which is like the more typical plate sound that EMT 250 is exactly the reverb you want for making a choir sound like angels. It's that bright, long tail that never has sibilances in it, never feels harsh. It's just astoundingly smooth. Hmm. And I discovered that while I was like sitting here in the studio being like, oh, let me find the UA preset for what mm. I'm going to use for these things. And I pulled that up um, just because when I searched like choir uh, um, presets, there was one in there. And I was like, well, let's try it. And I pulled it up and I was like, wow, this thing is good. So bright, long, really smooth long tail reverb that has become like my go-to cool looking uh not that one that one's the that one's the ua pure plate it's called emt 250 i think hmm. i'm looking it up because uh, i've seen i've seen the pure plate before it's really analog looking as far as 250 is really good yeah it is called the mt 250 it's a weird looking plug oh, it's like this yeah. black face thing with like these weird levers on it and now that that said that's what the physical hardware looks like i've actually seen that hardware before and just ignored it because i was like that thing looks weird <laughs> um oh, all right yeah and then the, the the third thing the last thing um in a bunch of danny's scores he really likes um cello as the lead instrument and a cello with a 4099 clipped on it in front of a million other instruments playing is not the most direct sound, right? It's, it, it works in a group of cellos, mm -hmm. but using it as a solo cello, it doesn't really work that well, especially if you've got all this other stuff happening on stage, low end coming off subs and all that. You can't bump like, let's say, 300 to 700, because when you bump that, you're kind of bumping a lot of bleed and like kind of making a mess of things. So uh, I ended up chatting with Colin Pink, the front of house guy for the Hans Zimmer show. And mm -hmm. I was like, how do you make this work? There's this interesting little contact mic. It's this little triangle. It's from a company called Erlund, E-H-R-L-U-N-D. And you literally stick it onto the body. It's made for acoustic guitars, right? You're supposed to stick it onto an acoustic guitar and it picks up the vibration of the body of the guitar mm -hmm. and it, you know, basically DIs. Right? Yeah, like a Parkus Berry type of thing or, or, yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this, I stuck it on to the body of that solo cello right where the bridge contacts the body. With permission, of course. Yeah, yeah, and when I say stick it on, it actually comes with like that little, uh, that tack that you use to like stick papers to the wall. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. that yep. um, mm -hmm. sticky tack. That putty-ish stuff. Yeah, sticky tack. It comes with that. So you put three little dots on the three corners of this triangle and you just stick it on. And it comes right off, leaves no residue because it's sticky tack, right? 
but I pulled that thing up for the first time and I could like, I could make that cello louder than the whole drum kit and it was clean. And I was like, this is the first time I've ever heard a cello this clear and clean. Now, mind you, it still sounds boxy like a cello. So you EQ it heavily. And as the night goes on, you get more and more of that kind of like uh, rough sounding string noise. So you kind of have to get rid of some of that harshness, but because it's so clean, you can do crazy EQ moves and push it up a ton. So uh, that thing changed everything for me. Now, mind you, it's really expensive and it really only has that one purpose for me. So I guess I'm not going to use it till we do Elfman again because I don't run into solo cellos on that many gigs. But it is a beautiful tool if that's the kind of thing you need, like an incredibly clean cello or probably viola. It'll probably work on quite well too. You know, like that kind of instrument. Uh, so surprised by how good it is. That's three. That was good. I, <laughs> yeah, I, sorry, I like, you asked for one, man. I went. I went down the road. No, I, I like to. Yeah, no, and that's that's what I did this summer as well. Is I just went through a bunch of things that I never thought I would try, and um, that was part of my learning curve. You know, is is talking to Pavin at front of house and asking him. You know, hey, what analog stuff would you bring out of Portico? Would you bring out? I brought an SSL Fusion. Well, mm -hmm. what's that do? Like, uh, we talked about the. 5440 is it is it that the uh, rupert neve piece uh which one i mean there's because they're the all one, numbers right yeah they're all numbers i forgot we we talked about a lot of rupert pieces but we also talked about a lot of plugins too like um and and it was cool because i was in a position where i could try things out and not be detrimental in my show as well and mm -hmm. uh, um I'm amazed how much I learned from just doing that every night was like, Oh, I'm going to throw this reverb on. Oh, I'm going to throw this compressor on. Why does everybody hate the desk compressor? I'm going to see if I can make it work the way I want to. Um, right. So those trial and errors, man, you always kind of end up taking something away and look at you. You found two really expensive things to take away. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I didn't. I really do. His um, your wife also probably wishes you didn't know um but uh no. <laughs> um, I, I, well, I, I am very particular about gear purchases though in that if i purchase something it needs to be paid for by the next gig period there you go so it's like if even if that thing costs a ton of money as long as the next gig actually covers the cost of that then it's okay otherwise i actually do not buy things and i don't buy things on credit because that's just a slippery slope that you can like fall into owning a bunch of stuff that you're not always using Right. And owe interest on like it, it it's not a great place to be. So I've been I've been following you for some time uh, since you've been doing videos for Facebook and, and YouTube and stuff like that. You try out a ton of stuff. I do. Yeah. How do you go about getting to try that out? Do you contact manufacturers and see if they'll send you one to give it a shot or I mean, like that would be smart, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Uh, I, I know a lot of manufacturers have went to engineers and say, hey, we, we don't sponsor bands, we sponsor engineers, you know, and and I think that's a great way for a lot of people to try out some tools that we might necessarily not be able to get our hands on. And then at the end of the day, asking a production company for a $3,500 piece of gear for your rack, you know, you might not to actually them, that's get nothing. Yeah. It, it, so for for you to do those videos and do these like shootouts between things or comparisons between things uh, what has been your approach that you you've seen work for you where you don't spend a ton of money but you still get to try stuff out i mean it, it, it that that's tough right like realistically the smart way to do this is to kind of have a network with your friends and you guys just trade pieces of kit right 
Um, or the smart way to do it is, you know, as you said, get a manufacturer, just contact them directly. And most of them are pretty amicable to sending you stuff. Now, mind you, there's a, a couple microphone manufacturers that send me stuff to try. Awesome. But for all this outboard gear that I do stuff with, I full on just buy it myself. I would love it if a manufacturer contacted me and was like, hey, would you like to try this? That'd be great. Um, for most of this stuff, I don't care about buying it new because the difference between new and used is either it works or it doesn't, right? For, for analog outboard. Um, obviously, if something's really beat up, you know, that, that's a different case. But I buy everything off Reverb used. I sell it on Reverb for the same price I bought it for most of the time. So when I'm kind of prepping for something and I've got some pieces that I'm like, ah, oh, you know, this isn't really doing what I, what I need, I'll text like six or seven people and say, hey, man, you know, do you have any ideas for something that does blah? And it's usually like a function I'm trying to get done. Like I'm like, um, I remember uh, another front of house engineer hit me up. He said, uh, man, you know, I've got guitars. I just want them to be just thicker, bigger, rounder. And I want them to have like some sort of like motion to them, some sort of mojo vibe. Like, what would you, what would you suggest? Like anything you've tried? I'm like, oh yeah, Shadow Hills Dual Vandergraaff. Not crazy expensive. You can find it on the used market for 16 to 1700 bucks. I mean, that's not cheap, but you compare it to other stuff. A distressor is what? Like 1800 for one channel of it. I mean, mind you, I'm in the used market. You get it for like 1100, but still, I, you know, sent him a recommendation. Uh, that was a thing that he, I think Claire just, you know, sent him one. He tried it out, played with it a bit. And he's like, yeah, that, that totally fits. But I do the same thing. I'll kind of poke at friends and be like, hey, this is the thing I'm trying to achieve. What are the tools you guys use for it? Um, and, you know, I'll go see if it's available in the used market online. And I will full on buy it, put it into my rack. Most of what I use these days is 500 series. So it's actually quite easy. And my rack at home is set up into my Pro Tools rig. So I will take the bus of the audio, like maybe it's a stemmed bus down that I've already stemmed out of a desk that's already recorded into Pro Tools and take exactly the audio I'm trying to make sound better, run it through the 500 series rack. And I'll literally like put in a module, play with it, pull out that module, put in a different one, play with it, pull that out, put in a different one and go, oh, yeah, that's the one that sounds really good. Um, and as a workflow for me, that works really well. But to your point, if what you're trying to do is go and use a bunch of rental kit, this doesn't necessarily work for you because you mm. might be pulling stuff that rental just doesn't have. Like I have a bunch of stuff from Tree Audio. I can't rent that anywhere. And it's not that they wouldn't buy it if we're not doing a long enough tour. Like if we're doing a long tour, they'll buy it. That's, that's what most of these companies do. If you're doing, you know, five, six weeks and you're asking for something that's a thousand bucks, they'll go buy it and they'll rent it to you because they'll make it back. But if you're asking for, I don't know, a four and a half thousand dollar summing bus, and you're only doing two shows with Danny Elfman, they're going to go, yeah, we're not going to buy that for you, you know? Yeah. So some of this kit, you have huge value in owning yourself. But the reason I go with the 500 series route is because I can also just fly it to all sorts of gigs. So mm. it's like when I do this gig, it lives in a rack. But then when I go to other gigs, I pull out this little 3RU 500 series rack that has 10 channels of rad compression, throw it in a fly rack, and I go take it to another gig. Yeah. So... I mean, I, it's kind of like owning a, a mic kit, right? You know, the more stuff that you own of your own that gives you more consistency, the easier your gigs are. You know, it's, it's not necessarily that your gig's better, but I go, okay, cool. I know if I take, you know, my kick group and I put it through my 560A, which is not an expensive compressor. That's a DBX 160 and a 500 series. Right? It's like, I don't know, 130 bucks. But to me, it's like, wow, that's the perfect kick drum sound. 
Yep. Doesn't have to be an expensive piece, but yep. like I know exactly what that's going to do. Doesn't matter if I show up on a Digico, an Allen Heath, an Avid, whatever. If I can route through that, I know what it's going to give me. So it's like, it's kind of like, you know, I know exactly what a D6 and a 91 is going to sound like on a kick drum or, you know, 201 and, a, and an 88 on a snare drum, like w- whatever it might be. When you kind of find these things that work for you in general, it can be beneficial to bring them. And, you know, it's easier, obviously, if it's all plugins, but you can't always use the same plugins on every platform. And I like knobs in front of me. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. the other factor. I like knobs. Well, let's, um, all right, let's, yeah. let's bring all that home. Everything we just talked about of liking knobs and it's what works for me and, and all these things, right? So what I said at the beginning is analog better, right? So a couple full circle moments um, after the 200th episode, I've mentioned this now twice, I think, um, uh, we were having breakfast, you, me, and Denny uh, were sitting outside of, um, what's that coffee shop there in Nashville? Um, uh, I don't, I'm not a coffee Cramo? guy, everyone. That was huh? a coffee shop in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crema, in Nashville. Crema, yeah. yeah. That place um, is great. And, you know, uh, you guys were just, we, we were just talking about the idea of like, hey, this whole new, I'm going to call it a fad, if you will, of like outboard analog gear and like, you know, the whole argument, like, is it better? And like, how much of it is a sonic thing? How much of it is just like a visceral touch? Does it make the experience better for you or does the audience member, is it a better experience for them, you know, or is it really just for you? Things like that, right? So just kind of like, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to go home and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to like try this and like do this test. Um, And, um, and obviously I brought this up on the David Lloyd thing and then you, and you were in the midst of this or uh, had gone about this. So, all right, so let's do this. Let's set the stage. You, you, you did some tests. Uh, you put together some files. Um, I did a test before we recorded. I can't just play these in real time on here. They're not going to sound right. I will do my best to maybe drop a few in post. I'm not going to promise anything. Best thing to do <laughs> is come to... <laughs> I'm just disclaiming the shit out of this. Come to our Fair Discord. Enough. Come to the Discord is where you're going to find these files. Um, if you really want to listen to everything we're about to talk about, because I know it's hard to talk about these without actually <laughs> hearing them. Um, I'll drop links to it in our episode discussion section there uh, if you want to dig into them further. So I'll just preface that. But can you set up what the what test you put together without giving away some of the things? Um, I want to give some feedback on kind of what I heard and what Kyle heard, and I kind of want to walk through that a little bit. Um, so what was how did you how did you try to set up the test? Well, so the the thing I was actually trying to test was does analog actually unequivocally sound better in the context of, of putting it into a live show, right? And, and mind you, I do a ton of studio stuff here too, and I use the analog stuff in this room as well. And I, I've never been in a scenario where I've been able to just straight AB because usually if you're bringing analog, you're going to use it, right? right. Um, so what I, when we talked about this, I said I was going to build a show from scratch, totally mm-hmm. in the box, make it the best sounding thing I can do. And then build the shows from scratch with, you know, analog gear and make it the best sounding thing I could do. But at the end of the day, I didn't really have the time to do this fully from scratch for each of these. So what I did was, you know, this is while I was going through this Danny Elfman stuff because I needed to kind of relearn what was happening musically and kind of like get an idea of what I'm doing with groups and things like that. So what I did was I basically got 80% of the way through the mix where I kind of took all the core elements, got them so they stemmed into groups and things like that so that the groups themselves became the things that you were controlling and adjusting rather than individual elements inside it. And once I was at that point, I was like, okay, I know that I'm going to want 
a compressor on this group. I know I'm going to want a compressor on this group. And I know I'm going to want to do a couple things. So here is where I'm going to stop for a second and go, all right, I'm going to build this with all in the box in these groups and make it sound the best I can make it sound. Cool. Then I'm going to print those. I'll save, do a save as, save it as something separate. <clears throat> and then I'll go through and do the exact same thing with analog comps in these places instead and print them. Uh, print them so that they're exactly the same clip, same start, same finish, you know, so that I can just send this off to people unlabeled, which I did. So it was just, you know, mix mm -hmm. one, two, three, four, five, six. And I think it was three different pieces of audio where one was all orchestra, one was like full rock band, and maybe one was orchestra and band. Or maybe the last there, one was also orchestra. There was like some choir remember. stuff or whatever in the, in the yep. one, okay. but yeah. Yep. Um, so I then, you know, built those where some of them were all, uh, all in the box. Some of them were, you know, mostly in the box, but it had analog compressors on every single group. Uh, and then I sent them out to a bunch of people and said, hey, you tell me which one of these is better. I didn't tell them which was which, because again, they were just numbered one through six. Yep. Um, the response I got back was kind of a, they're all good. Um, the response from many people was like, I literally cannot tell that these are different. Uh, yeah. Well, a friend of mine was like, are you sure you exported different files? <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to go back and make sure. And I even did a null test of my files on my own files. And I was like, oh, no, no, they're definitely different. Um, just in case, like maybe I did screw this up, but I didn't. Um, I went back and reprinted it again <laughs> and it was still the same, you know, like watching the compressors and all the lights light up. I was like, no, no, it's definitely going through this. Yeah. Um, and then after that, you know, we had kind of made a determination. Okay, cool. Uh, and then I heard that David Loy ep episode that you guys did. Yep. And David spoke about how his groups go out to compressors in the analog realm. And then he uses a summing box and returns them back in as a stereo pair. So what I was doing was out to stereo compressor back in, out to stereo compressor back in. And what David was doing in that context was out to stereo compressor into summing box one, two, out to mm -hmm. stereo compressor into summing box three, four. And then it returns to his desk on just a pair. So I called up David and I was like, tell me about this. Tell me what was different about this. And also David sent me some files of, because uh, I think you guys talked about this on that episode. There were a couple shows he did where he couldn't use his analog kit and yep. did it all in the box. Yep. So he sent me a couple files of like his show all in the box and then a couple files of his show with the analog. And he's like, you tell me what's different. And he didn't tell me which one was which. Nice. And we had like a long chat about it. But we talked about the summing thing. And I was like, this is just so interesting. And I have a summing box here. I want to try this. Let's do this. So I added a couple more files that was, you know, with the analog comps, but then summing through analog. And I happened to have two summing boxes that I could like actually AB. And they're both technically very different from one another. So I made a file of one of them and I made a file of the other and sent those out into that same, you know, file structure as well. So when I sent that out to people, people were like, whoa, these are really different. Yep. Um, not, not so different that they're like, this isn't the same thing, but they were like, there's a different kind of separation and a different kind of like roundness and saturation that just feels rich, uh, specifically in one of them. Um, unfortunately that was the really expensive something box. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's it always the pricey ones. All right. I'm going to drop in two of the files that we talk about in this. I'm not going to tell you which are which files. Uh, please come to Discord for the links to check them out. But just to give a little bit of context to compare two different mixes that we then kind of talk deeper about in this. So this would be a blind AB. I'm not going to say which one is first, which one is second, but it'll give you a little more context to what we're talking about.
Here is the second file, and I recognize you may need to rewind back to kind of compare the two back and forth uh, again, or just come to the full Dropbox link, which will have all of the mixture of files within them. This is just two comparisons of a variation of what we talk about further in the episode. So, I mean, we have to do a little bit of spoiler alerts on some of them in order to have a conversation right. about this. So, um, and I think it's okay because I think it's still worth the exercise of listening. I definitely, I listened to the files just numbered. I knew you, I at least knew the context of something was um, in the box, something was analog. I didn't know what the different letters meant in terms of how you were doing it. Um, and uh, uh, and then once I got the description, I understood it made sense some of the things I was hearing. I would say my first impression on specifically the first track, um, which is mostly just orchestral strings, horns, yeah, uh, things like my that. Little, my, my little code sheet, because I didn't yeah, even want to know, so I had to write I, it down. I, I, didn't send this to, I didn't send it to Kyle on purpose. I didn't send any nope. of the breakdown of what was what to Kyle. Um, the biggest thing I noticed was, and what I know now as the in-the-box number um, and the um, and the analog 
uh, were almost identical, uh, like almost unnoticeable difference, right? Um, and then there was these other two, quite frankly, that was like, okay, this is definitely different than the others. And um, in terms of what I experienced, the way I could describe it as the things I noticed with difference was um, there was more detail. Um like in other words, the there was, uh, and I know we're, and I feel safe saying these words now because of the way you described things for the last thirty minutes. Um, <laughs> the, um, there was more depth, right? Like so, for instance, um, the the audience, which I asked you before the show, I'm like, did you have audience mics in this? And it's like, no, no, that's just the audience coming through the microphones. Um, right. I I noticed depth in the audience. I was like, oh, that's more definition. That's cool. Which is not cool for live. Uh, it's right. cool in post, but not live. But um, yeah, it's I like great. No- that's that's the audience in the violin mic. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, he's but he's right how he explains that. And what he, I think the depth was it set the audience back to where they were supposed to be. It put the 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 audience in a new dimension almost like you could hear the resonance of it like the depth or resonance or however you yeah. want to describe it and yep. i heard it in the drums as well uh, it, it seemed like everything still had its spot but there was like uh like you were talking about the pumping uh there was definitely almost like a volume difference but it wasn't a volume difference it was just an uh an accent almost it was crazy uh the the horn, the horns and strings were the two biggest things that stuck out to me. The artic, there was a um, de- when now that I know the file that was the um, the the summing bus. See, um, I don't know even. I'm just talking. I know. I, I don't I even know. know. <laughs> he didn't send me the, the list. the The definition that was on the strings and horns, um, I noticed it before I, you told me what files was what. I was like, I don't know what's happening here. What I can tell is. I, I hear I heard more strings and more horns on those than when, when it wasn't like another way I described this was like I actually felt like without it being in my face I could see myself in the in the bell of that horn and like I could I could I could hear the the signature of that horn and then when I went to go back I'm like man it's not bad it's just different like with yeah. the in the box or the straight analog it was it was a um, an altogether sound as opposed to when you get to the other ones, it was like, I hear so many more things individually, but still cohesively. And I don't know, that's how the best way I could describe the difference between the summing bus versus the, the other mixes. And, and truth is, they, they are a little bit imperfect because the levels aren't the same. You sure. Know? So, right. so I, I will admit that on the summing bus, I feel that the strings and those horns are a tiny bit louder too. But mm. I think I landed there because I was like, wow, it sounds really good like this. Because again, like when I was building each of these, I was going, how do I make this sound the best it can be with what it is? You know what I mean? So I wasn't trying to make them match with each other. It's just that they, they kind of did. Right. And when it got to those summing bus ones, I'm like, wow, the, the, the strings sound articulate and clean and smooth. The horns sound like, like bright in your face, but not harsh. So right. I think I kind of subconsciously, if you will, bumped him a tiny bit you know what i mean because it felt better that way so maybe that is an argument for like well there were things that the those tools did that made me make different decisions that i think for you felt better do you know what mm-hmm. i mean so like, well, maybe it, that it, is an your argument initial, for why your, you your initial question that you asked <laughs> like when you because you had posted this in discord like back in july um you had asked like which um you're trying like what 
what mix feels more engaging and more fun like right like what's right. what's it's because neither of them had less um sonic space right there wasn't like oh my goodness there's a scoop out of this right they all had full spectrum all those things it was this was a difference in um a little bit of tonality but to me the biggest thing was just texture is the best way i could say it there was complete difference in texture yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, break it down yeah. to a, a simpler element for everybody. So say you use the plugin, what is it called? The arouser, which is the, the distressor clone or whatever. So mm -hmm. breaking it down to the simplest element, using an arouser compared to using the analog distressor, what do you hear from just the simplest element when you use those two things? Because I know to you try to, you try to emulate through plugins until you can't. And then what, what do you hear? To be honest, doing something like that, I would most likely be able to get to what I think feels and sounds the same. You know what I mean? Like, I think we, I think we're in a place where plugins are so fucking good. Oh, they're great. But you don't actually need all this outboard, right? And let, let's also be real from a, a perspective of consistency. Having a bunch of outboard, this is annoying because I have to fly <laughs> this everywhere. And yeah, like, if I want to have the same show, I have to bring this everywhere, which is like. I don't know, what is that, like 27 more points of failure, right? Like if Maddie goes out, oh, fuck, it's fucked. If, if a BNC is like a little bit, you know, dodgy, I lose half the show. If, if an XLR is a little bit dodgy, I lose the right side of the choir. You know, but, it's, but, but it if you have plugins, you could, you could lose a whole rack. You could lose your whole yeah. ultimate or super rack. Like there's. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, it, you're right. That is true. Um, all of this stuff, you know, holds some amount of risk, right? But. For the most part, if you're going to lose plugins, yeah, you're going to lose all of them. At least with analog kit, you'll probably only lose one channel, you know? Yeah. Maybe lose a little bit of it, right? But the thing that I think made the summing thing really interesting. So the two summing mixers I have are very different, right? One of them is this Tree Audio unit. The other one is a Burl unit, right? Burl is an incredibly high-end brand. The Burl unit is a completely passive summing mixer on the input. So each input just literally is wires that connect to each other so it sums passively and then on the output you have a transformer and you've got uh, a line amp right so your left right get a little bit of transformer sound a little bit of line amp to kind of bring it back in level because when you sum stuff like that it tends to drop in level that brings it back up now you've got your output the tree audio is completely different every single input has its own individual op amp oh wow and, and I, I think the Rupert Neve designs the 5059 is actually that same way where each input has its own line amp of some sort. I, I think that's true, not 100%, but there are a couple that work that way where every single input has its own line amp. And I think that is actually a huge amount of what makes it sound different is that, let's say the choir, the left and right are going through unique paths with unique line amps with a bunch of different stuff in them. And that compared to both of those going through exactly the same path that are literally identical, turns into a little bit of width and that little bit of width helps so it's like if you were really trying to emulate this in like a plugin world i would try and find just different plugins i can put on each of those groups where i know that the left and right are a little bit different and i don't mean like different settings but like i don't know something that saturates the left a little bit different from the right maybe just do two mono plugins that are on different settings or different plugins themselves and you could do this on a bunch of different groups to get that same kind of width this is the kind of thing i would totally sit here and test you know, I would yeah. absolutely just be like, oh, I'm going to just try this and put this on and well, see if and, I can get the same thing. The timing was interesting. So uh, Lee Fields actually had made a post recently. He did a show uh, and he had done some outboard gear. Um, 
and uh, a friend of his let him use some outboard rig. He said it was fun to say the least. Lots of thoughts on if it's better than plugins. He's like, yes, but it's not a simple yes. It's definitely is exciting and sparks a new kind of creativity and desire to keep getting better, right? And that's actually to like go back to the conversation we had at that picnic table or whatever out there at, at the coffee shop. That's what we talk like. How much of this is just the visceral impact of actually moving these knobs and just knowing that you're working this thing is experientially better. And that's okay too, right? Like, um, I mean, I think the, the, the question here is not just, is it sonically? It's just like, does it allow you to creatively get to a better space of wh what you're trying to achieve? And that answer, and for that reason might be the yes as to why it's better, not necessarily because it's, it's, it's um, price or quality or samples or any of those things. Kyle, you're about to say something. <laughs> yeah, I, ca I can't wait to, to start reading the discussion about this. I really can't because obviously, you know, there's there's a lot of older engineers that swear by analog. And I love that there is like, once you listen to these things, you're going to be like blown away because <laughs> it, it is so little difference. And the differences that you did do pick out could be just a different way to paint the picture you know maybe mm -hmm. you could maybe you could have achieved that just by like you said doing a different line of plugins or even going simpler you know um i like the the summing box idea though that's really cool um did you did you feel like going d to a a to d especially since you're sitting in a studio environment does does that hurt in a live mix sense as as much as uh, a line of plugins, CPU usage wise, latency wise, phase, anything like that, hard to justify, right? Because it's like yeah. D to A plus the piece of gear and A to D, that's the whole chain. So either it's better with it or it's better without it, right? So because yeah, like it, those those things are all connected. Well, and, and it's, so it's probably about the same with CPU usage to yeah. throw on a rack. You know what I mean? For well, and, 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 and like a David, lot of plugins. And a lot of plugins actually do, you know, anti-aliasing filters and like yeah, resampling right. on the way in and on the way out. So it's like, it's not that different. It's like a so wash. So you're going to say something, Chris? Yeah. yeah. Well, the credit, credit or the context of like what David's doing, David Loy, that is, we talked about, I go back and listen to his episode is, um, I guess there's a difference here, separate the difference of maybe someone who has a bunch of outboard individual compressors for individual inputs, as opposed to taking uh, and then having to return to the console finish your mix that way right there's an argument to be said for latency and phase and like all the things there right there's a difference in like what david and what the trend that i see of a bunch of other um people because he wasn't the first one and not the last or whatever of having it's it's your it's your final chain so like david doesn't have a two mix coming off the console he's taking all his groups treating them compressing eq whatever going to that summing and that summing then going to the lake or going out to wherever so it doesn't return to the console so you're still a continuous path with one conversion um i guess technically you have to get back to digital get back but this you know what yeah, i mean yeah. like there's it's not a it's not this back and forth back and forth thing that you know um so um and look and, and, and yeah and that was that was actually an interesting part of the chat i had with david because i wasn't into the idea of only being able to drive into my analog compressors. I wanted mm. to be able to turn yeah. on the output of those. Is right? that a control so like, thing? Yeah, it's a control thing for sure. It, it changes the way you can control, right? It, so if what you've got yeah. is groups that go out to analog compressors or whatever, and then into a summing box, and then effectively out to your PA, 
you don't have a post compressor level control without going over and turning knobs, right? So I'm not into that because what I want to be able to do is take the entire choir post processing and bump it up for a little bit or the yep. entire string section post processing and bump it up for a little bit. So part of the conversation I had mm. with him was, well, how does this work for you? And he's like, well, this, this just works and this is how I want it. And I'm like, cool. I want to try and figure also, out. Also, the elements the in his way. show, his elements in his show are completely different in the elements yeah. of, say, something like Danny Elfman, too. I mean, yeah, that was yeah, yeah. Ab absolutely. But so this is why I try to as analog comps as an insert coming back in and not doing the summing thing first. Mm. You know, that's why I was like, yep. I think this is what makes sense for me because then I can do the group outputs, which are post the compressors, right? Uh, and summing. ideally, yeah, exactly. So and ideally, summing. you go out to those comps back to these groups, then these groups feed a summing mixer, at which point you actually do have faders that can be post-compressor, but it's still going to a summing mixer. I just haven't gotten to that stage of actually building that into a show <laughs> file yet because the amount of, you know, D to A, A to D is a lot. And, you know, for anyone who goes and listens to these files, the difference in cost between, you know, mix one and mix two is, I don't know, $12,000 of gear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even joking. Like, cause you know, an Andiamo is 5,000 bucks and that's, that's the converter that's sitting here. And yeah. then there's the gear. Like when you really look at that and go 12,000 bucks and an additional 24 points of failure, you go, is that actually worth it? Now that said to the point of like what we were talking about before, once I had this stuff going and it was coming together, it, did feel so good. And uh, to the point of what you were kind of poking at a little bit earlier, though, when you talk about building stuff into plug-in chains and you talk about building stuff into analog chains, there's a different mentality that I think is, I'm going to make an assumption, everyone that chooses to use analog is going to, is going to treat this a little differently, right? Because when you go, I'm going to put this analog compressor on, let's say, the drum bus, you don't tend to go, I'm going to put this analog compressor on the drum bus, and then I'm going to follow it with nine plugins. <laughs> you go, mm. I'm going to put this analog compressor on the drum bus, and once it's there, I'm going to tailor the things that are in my drum bus to make this analog compressor work really well. And if you look back to how we used to do sound before having a shitload of plugins, what we had was an analog compressor on the butt drum bus. So you had to tailor your in incoming sounds that went into that bus so well so that that compressor reacted really well to it, Right? And if you have the option to just stack plugins, which you definitely get a feeling like you should do when they're there, right? You put a Waves thing on it and it's like, oh, there's nine more slots. I should put more <laughs> shit here. <laughs> when you do that. We got to make an that, ocean. Kinda, Via satellite. But, but what happens is you put, I don't know, that 2500 on your drum bus and you go, ah, you know what? There's like a little bit of tubbiness in this. Then you put an F6 on it after it. And then you go, oh, you know what? But now the top end is not really bright enough. Then you put a parallel particles on top of it. And that is a really different perspective to when you have this analog comp sitting on that drum bus because you go, the analog comp sitting here and it's doing this thing and you know what? It's a little tubby. Let me find where that tubbiness is coming from and you fix it on the source side. Yep. And that's like a different thing about how you think about those groups because when you're thinking about it with plugins, you go, oh, I can add another plugin to fix this problem. And that's just the way people think. And I'd like to hope that everyone would think more like, we should go back and fix the actual source that's getting there because what I was trying to do with this drum comp was this. And when I found that it wasn't doing it exactly right, I shouldn't have just added something else after it or something else before it. I should have found the thing that was making it not work the way I thought it should. Do you know what I mean? Yep. 
completely yeah, 100%. get that. that that that's how i like to work i mean if my source is ridiculous by the time it gets to the groups maybe i need to change something back there you know and and you you find that out really easy in drums because you're dealing with hi-hats you're dealing with brass you're dealing with those brass picking up your kit or things on stage and sometimes taking those out of your group is is a good idea you know and yeah. being able to do that at the source is great i did that on the last tour i i went and took my brass away from everything um just because I didn't have a drum riser <laughs> and, and that plays a difference. Uh, so it was right sitting. behind a vocal mic. <laughs> yeah. And, and it would just pass during the show and I'd be like, Oh, what is that? And it was like, okay, how, how do I fix that at my group? Oh, I just take those out of my group. And now I have right. manual can control or like, I'm, I'm a distressor fan. <laughs> so like yeah. I went, I went back and put things in the box and Chris and I had talked about this too, about uh, directional stuff getting things very directional. I'm glad you brought up the SL stuff because um, a lot of people are starting to pay more attention to get more of a studio mix from the stage is using mics that are more directional, like you mentioned the, yeah. the Harlan or whatever. So polar pattern of your microphone or where things are sitting are becoming a lot more evident because everybody's on the ears. Um, everything, is, the only things that you're putting mics on are loud and annoying. How do I get that loud and annoying into a really tight pattern? I change my microphones and that helps you by the time you get to the bus level, which is great. You know, um, I think that's a discussion to be had and the SL have the rejection in the rear and holy cow, that's going to make a ton of difference for smaller stages, black boxes, the Hollywood bowl, uh, Superdome. Let's, let's go ahead and name them all. Like if you can, <laughs> excite a lot less things you're going to get a lot cleaner mix and maybe you'll start losing some plugins and you'll start yeah. losing some analog stuff or that end of the chain in your group is going to become like you said it's going to be your knobs instead of a chain of nine you know like that's yeah. a that's a great way to look at that i mean e even like a floor tom mic i will make sure it's pointed away from the snare you know i know it's pretty common to kind of like point it across and it's pointed right at the snare no i don't want that i want it to like I don't know, kind of tuck it under the ride, point it the other way. So then that mm -hmm. gate actually opens cleanly, you know? Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, so I want to tie yeah. a bunch of things together. We're up against the proverbial <laughs> clock. Um, <laughs> I had three you're agendas. Not, and sorry, I, so, man, I, I, I could, you're not going to yell that rabbit I, hole for, for weeks. I know, I know. You're not going to um, yell that analog is better, roll out at the end and just end the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, all the all right, dudes so, at home are like, keep off my lawn, get off my yeah. lawn. Analog's better. <laughs> hey, you know, there is, there is one thing I want to say about analog right before we kind of like jump yes. passes, you know, it is kind of a fad right now. Uh, you know, you could view that negatively. You could view it positively, whatever you want, but like there is way more analog at front of house these days and at monitors than I've seen in the past. I don't know, mm -hmm. eight years, right? Yeah, Prior to sure. that, yeah, there was a bunch of analog. It seems to be in cycles, right? But I know I do this. I go walk around front of house and I'm like, oh man, he's got a CL1B. Oh, he's got a, you know, yeah. a overstayer. There's a this. Oh man, this show's going to sound great. That's bullshit. The show does not need to sound great because there's fucking great <laughs> gear there. But I know that when I walk there, I go, oh man, I got to watch them because they're going to sound awesome. That is so not true. But like the analog, like, like geek in me, I see that and I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be the best sounding show. And I think that other people do that too. You walk up, you go, wow, there's like great gear up here. They're going to sound fucking awesome. And I think that's it's a weird. placebo effect. Totally placebo. is. And, and honestly, when they play, I'll probably be like, oh, that's totally the sound of X piece of gear. You right, know? <laughs> right. 
Anyway, sorry. Back to you. Chris. No, no, no. It's no. It, it uh, makes total sense. I all right. So the, the thing I w- also wanted to do tonight was, um, if you've been living under a rock um, and don't know, uh, Ryan and John actually does have a, a podcast of his own that's not Signals and Noise. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it feels like he's uh, he's one of the family, right? <laughs> um, but uh, Live Sound Bootcamp, which um, you know you guys started back in 2020, um, and um, COVID uh, through the pan- yeah pandemic, um, mm-hmm. and. Um, and and you've gone through different seasons and you know the big series you know the big you know early on you hit traditional like interview a bunch of people and do that stuff and then season two you guys went like channel by channel and like how would you treat this how would you treat this and now you guys are in a new season um and uh the first episode of season three is out about troubleshooting that's cool so go check those out um but the, the thing i wanted to speak specifically about that was you have a facebook group um that's um and I like that you've got you, you've started to people ask some questions in there and they're like, hey, this isn't maybe the right thing to ask in this group because of this is like some entry <laughs> yes, level someone stuff. Someone asked as about like, like mastering chains and I was like, yeah, we should skip yeah, that in not, my sound right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, which is totally cool. And I, I appreciate that, you know, because there's places to have those conversations. Anyway, someone had asked a question about vocal chain, right? Um, and I loved your response um, uh, because, you know, you people could choose to talk about this a couple different ways of like, I use this piece of gear, this piece of gear, this piece of gear, this piece of gear, right? Or I have these settings and settings. And your response was, um, uh, I'll read verbatim kind of what you said. I don't like the idea of vocal chain as a list of specific tools, but I love the idea of a chain as a list of functions uh, and then allowing someone to pick which tools best work uh, for them. Uh, and then you, you talk about your functions and how you accomplish those functions. So, the functions that you were listed for vocal chain was um, capture, cleanup, control, um, and then dynamic EQ, uh, which wasn't a function, but it sort of was a function. Um, and, and then you just describe how you do. So what tools are you using to clean up? What tools are you using to control? Uh, things like that. And a couple things I want to say that I'll let you elaborate. It got me to thinking that this is a thing where when we talk about like knowing why you do something when you do it like why should i engage a presser or why should i do this or whatever um it's uh if if we were to boil down some of the things that we do in the what are you trying to achieve i.e function um i think we from a teaching tool perspective we could get to a much better place faster of knowing you know you know when I engage this compressor and and do this, I start turning these knobs. Yeah, it sounds different, but okay. If you can try to answer the question, there is a period of time where you, I got to try things, see how it affects. But if you have a goal of mind of like I want it to do this, and then you turn the knob until it does that, you're going to get much different experience. And then just well, let me try four to one. Oh, let me try ten to one. What's ha- you know what's what's happening there uh, anyway? So I don't know if you can me elaborate on just that process and breakdown and and your methodology. Me- well, I can't speak, um, methodology <laughs> and going through all that. Well, so n- normally the way I, I, so I don't know if I've told you guys this, but I, I started writing a book on mixing like five years ago. Wow. It's been, it's been at like 200 pages for probably five years. Cause five years ago nice. I wrote like a ton and then I just have not gone back because now every time I read it, I'm like, well, all that's wrong <laughs> because you know, we, we all evolve. Right. So it's like a, yeah, a different way now. Right. But, um, what I have realized that's always the same is that to me, it's like there are steps that you're trying to achieve and then how you get to those steps are kind of like somewhat irrelevant, right? 
it's it's like you've got a point A and a point B. Point A is the source sound. Point B is the you know what you have in your head for what you want it to sound like. And you may be in a Pinto, you may be in a Lamborghini to get there, but you're still trying to get from source to that sound that's in your head. And when I, I guess in in comparative, like the Pinto to the Lamborghini is I don't know. Uh, a little Crest X series mixer that's just, you know, a couple knobs versus, I don't know, the Quantum 7 with all the analog outboard and all the plugins in the world, right? Those are the different tools that allow you to get from point A to point B. But in general, the thing is, you hear a source coming from stage, and in your head you go, this is what I want it to sound like. And the better you understand your tools, the faster you can get from that, this is what's coming from the stage, to this is what I want it to sound like. And I usually break it down into this kind of like four, I guess, I think it's four C's. I don't remember, but it's, you know, how do you capture it, cleaning it up, controlling it, and then creative is the last part, right? Mm. So the capture is, what mic am I using? Is it going to be the right mic for this thing? If I use a mic that sounds the best on the source, but picks up a whole load of other crap, is this really that useful? Because it might not be, because if I'm picking up all the drums, well, now I can't actually clean it up and control it in the way that I want to because yeah great maybe the vocal sounds great but now the drums sound like garbage because of all this bleed right so that capture becomes really specific for how you're going to do that the cleanup is like okay high pass to make sure there's no extra crap in there low pass to make sure there's no extra crap in there uh if you have great noise reduction tools and it makes sense to use them use them right you know things like what is it the 545 or 5045 which i think is the the piece of kit you were yep. talking about earlier kyle yep. Um, you know, something like that or PSE or CVOX or a Cedar unit to kind of clean up yep. some of that extra stuff. Great. All those are good tools. Not always necessary. So that's capture cleanup. And then uh, control. Control is like in my head. Or, and also part of the cleanup is like, okay, if there's a bunch of, mm, I don't know, low mid in that vocal or something, clean it up. If there's a bunch of like harshness in it, clean it up, you know, use an EQ to do that. The control part is... Um, it's kind of like figure out how you want to be able to present that to an audience, right? If it's a really dynamic source, it becomes quite hard for you to present that to an audience consistently unless you reduce that dynamic range, right? So that's where things like compressors come in. Uh, and also, I guess in, in that cleanup section, you've also got gates. So if we're talking like, you know, drums, great. Cleanup is mm -hmm. the gating part too. And then that control part is like kind of reducing that dynamic range or just making it generally more consistent. So in that control, I also consider things like dynamic EQs, where if I've got a singer that's right on their mic like this and they got a bunch of low end or they move like this and the low end disappears, that control part is to try and get that low end consistent. And at the end of that control stage, you should be in a place where you're like, cool, I got something that works and I can pull up this fader and it works and it's consistent enough that I don't have to go like this and chase it by riding it up and down. And then the last step is the creative thing. You go, cool, well, now I've got this consistent vocal. Well, you know, I want it to feel like a big Barry White. I want a bunch of bottom end, and I want a bunch of that, like, really ultra top end to make it feel real intimate. Cool, that's part of the creative part. That wasn't really a corrective thing. That was a, now I creatively have chosen, I want to make it, you know, this kind of big smiley face scoopy thing. And that's where you can kind of add that in. So if you approach it with these kind of stages of goals, where it's like, how do I capture this as clean as possible and in a way that, you know, enables me to do what I want with it. And then how do I clean it up in a way that, you know, gives me as much signal and as little other crap? How do I control it in a way where it is, you know, manageable later? And then how do I add these creative tools, your creative kind of functions to it in order to kind of get to the end? 
Uh, so if you take that journey from A to B and break it up into a couple smaller steps, it becomes way more achievable as opposed to going, well, I've got this guy who's kind of moving all over his mic and hell, I want him to sound like Justin Timberlake. And it just doesn't. Then it feels like this insurmountable mountain that you're like, well, I can't get to the top of the mountain. You know, instead you want to get to, you know, the, the, the lower level and then the next level, and then the next level. But as long as you know all your goals for each of those steps, it makes it achievable. Does that make sense? I think it does. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's four C's, it's baby. Amazing. Yeah, four C's. Four C's yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think that that needs to become a staple of live sound training. The four C's. I'm just gonna call it. Yeah, it's, uh, I think we need well, to we need to work on that some more. To, but I need to write this book so I can you know trademark right. the four C's. Trademark this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Ryan four C or John. Um, so <laughs> I, I was also. I was also, I was also thinking about this. Um, so, all right, I'm going to use maybe a bad analogy, uh, but oh, find no. a I do it all the time. Yeah, oh, here goes. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just, no, it's not bad. Um, uh, so, in photography, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they always talk about like, oh, it's not the camera; it's the way you shoot, and like all these things, right? Um, um, but clearly there is a difference in a picture that you can capture with a $150 or whatever um, Those disposables that you know you, you drop off yeah, at CBS. Right. Or a $5,000, $10,000 DSLR or whatever, right? I don't care how good of a photographer you are. And yes, I know there's comparison, right? But so there's yeah. some level of thing, right? Mm. And I was thinking about the same thing, right? We're talking about analog gear. We're talking about all these things. You mentioned earlier, you know, the one mix to the one mix that sounds almost identical. There's 15 to 20K difference in cost there. Um, We talk about going from this Pinto to the Ferrari or whatever analogy you want to use there. Um, uh, So I guess maybe as someone who's like, when someone's newer in the industry and they're trying to figure these things out, it's like, oh, I got to have this piece of gear and I got to accomplish this. Where, where, what have you experienced? Where is that line of like, you know what? There is only, you're only actually going to be able to achieve X, Y, and Z with a little more dollars or the next biggest thing or whatever, right? I mean, let's face it, a Mackie. 1402, 1604, or whatever, and and some some Behringer comps and It'll whatever. Only like only do so much. Hey man, the club so, in the corner. Some sometimes Mario Andretti will drive a Pinto. You know what I mean? Hey, <laughs> just saying. Like one of the greatest drivers of all time, and and I think that goes to speak to uh, to the artistic part of the creative part to your mix. You know, it doesn't have to be difficult. And I'm I'm the poster boy for that. I use very little of everything. But I definitely use the function thing, too. It's like I'm using it for a function, period. I will use compressors and gates in a console. I will use stock reverbs. I will use the house mic kit. But you know what? I'm Mario fucking Andretti. And I'll drive the shit out of that thing. And I'll Hell still yeah. win. And and that and that and that's the other side of the analogy is like sometimes you just got to be a good driver. And I think that's your, your, your point is sometimes... The Pinot is just fine. You just got to know how what you're driving and what your goal is. Like, well, the, the you got to know what you're driving is the biggest part, right? And mm. directly to your point, Chris, you know, you can have point A and point B that you want to get to, right? And the better you know your tools, the better you understand what they're capable of, right? So Copy it's like, that. okay, cool. I've All got right. a Mackie 1604 yep. and I got a Behringer Composer Pro or whatever it is, right? I know what that thing's able to do. So great. When I put it there, I know how far it can get to what I'm thinking, right? And on the gig is not the time to learn these, right? And if we're talking, (laughs) no, I mean. Unless you're Kyle. 
Sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't, right? Because most of the time when you're on the gig, you don't have a ton of time, right? And if you're going, well, I got point A and I got point B, I'm going to try this compressor. Then I'm going to try this compressor. Then I'm going to try this mm -hmm. compressor. You will be flailing. And, and, and partway through that, you will have lost point B in your head. Mm. You will have forgotten what that goal sound was because I you've like been that. playing on the way there. So since pretty much everybody that's listening to this does have access to plugins, right? Even if you're on an X32, you can, you can figure out a way to do this, right? Or at least learn how, you know, some of the tools there work. Get in front of a DAW, like open up Reaper or whatever, or whatever it is you have and play with the tools that you know you're going to have in front of you when you have that desk there, right? So if you know you've got a desk that's got, I don't know, waves on it, Learn what the API 550B can do for you to get from point A to point B. Learn what the SSL sounds like. Learn what this sounds like. So that when you hear a source, you're not going, hmm, I need an EQ that adds me mid-range saturation. Instead, you're going, you know what? That needs an, S uh, an API 550B on it. Mm -hmm. And it needs a bunch of this boosted because that's the one that's going to get me there faster. And by knowing those things, you're not guessing which EQ you're going to use. You're going, okay, this is the sound I see in front of me, or here, rather, source. This is the destination. When I use this tool, it's going to get me this far to the destination. When I use this next tool, it's going to get me this much farther to the destination. And it's because you've learned those tools so well and you know what they are capable of and what they're not capable of. And all it takes is just, you know, sit with some headphones and just play with this stuff for a while and listen to the things that you know you always have problems with and see if this thing fixes those. Mm. And then try a different tool and see if that thing fixes it. Cause like, I certainly have favorites that I know like, oh, for this kind of thing, that's going to be the tool I want, you know? And it's the same for all my analog kit. I buy it cause I go, I know exactly what that thing does. And if I put it on this type of channel, it's going to do exactly this. I don't even need to necessarily look at the settings. I go, oh yeah, the moment it's insert, this is the kind of thing I'm going to get from it, you know? And it's the same for plugins. Absolutely. Uh, which actually a, a kind of fun point is in a DAW, you know, you can change the default settings that a plugin comes up with. Um, to me, that is like one of the coolest things you can do. So like all the plugins in my Pro Tools session are set to like the settings that like for me are like, this is the thing I'm probably going to use it for. So even like the EQs, when I pull them up, they don't pull up flat. Yeah. They pull up with like, you know, these kind of things that are kind of mm. curved into the way where I'm like, that's what I like using it for. So the moment I open like an API 550, let's say on my Pro Tools session, it opens with 240 boosted at like four, you know, like that low mid range, which that plugin sounds really good for, you know? Um, yeah, playing with it and figuring out these things that those do uh, that work for you means when you get to the gig, uh, you hear that source. You're like, I know exactly how to get to point B rather than let me try 20 things and maybe we'll get there. You yeah. Know? Yeah, totally. It's awesome. Love it. Thank you again, once again, Ryan, for sorry, man. I could go <laughs> for out. a week. No, yeah, man. That's, it's a I good could note. listen for a I, week. I get excited about teaching. Yeah, as you should, and like, and we also haven't really gotten like nerdy in a while too. So today was actually pretty darn nerdy, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is uh, which is fun, you know. Um, but uh, no, it's it's uh, it's a, it, ever since you had posted those mixes, I kind of wanted to have this conversation, um, and uh, yeah, so it, it's, it was cool to kind of tie all these things together. So, so what I think I'll do is I will renumber those so that it's not obvious uh, which are the summing ones. Fool them, yeah. And I will just make it, I don't know, what is it, one through nine instead of one through six with, you know, some B's and C's and stuff. And then I will also give you the key. And if you wish to post the key there, 
you can post the key. What I'd suggest oh. is you post it without the key, leave it for like three, four oh, days, yeah, 100%. and then post yeah. the key. <laughs> yeah. Because otherwise, well, everyone will be people... like, oh, I always knew that was the, that was the analog. No, and, and people won't, don't listen to the podcast the first day it comes out and stuff like that, too. So that's, we'll. Um, Some people uh, don't even listen to the podcast. Just saying. That's <laughs> true, too. Find, at finding that point, out. All of this will be null void anyways. It doesn't matter. Um, no. But um, yeah, yeah. No. Uh, and look, here's the deal. If you if you aren't in Discord, don't want to go to Discord, I get it. Message me or Ryan, like if, like if you, if you happen to know Facebook or instagram or whatever uh and we'll get you a link to this um but yeah. this is going to be an e- easier thing i think via our discord to kind of distribute and talk about in there so live uh, sound boot camp yes go, check go please listen. check it out yep yeah, and i do plan on having another we'll, we'll do another episode uh where we get your counterpart and maybe we'll actually dig into what you guys are doing over there and talk about some of the topics i think that'd be fun too so sounds fun i'm into it cool thank you well thanks for having thank me guys thank you